Hello, I'm Hannah. And I'm Mike, a.k.a. Dad. And you're listening to Everything I Know, I Learned From Dad. In this podcast, my dad and I, and sometimes my sister Maddie, share our perspective on some of life's most valuable lessons. A lot of what my dad taught me didn't always make sense growing up, but today I attribute my successful transition to adulthood to his guidance, and we're here to share his wisdom with you. So, whether you're a young adult or a parent, we think you'll find value in our stories, and we're glad you're here. This episode is the first in a series about financial literacy. Now, this is a topic that my dad has a great deal of interest in. And so I think it's important for dad to give a quick overview of why this topic is something of interest and where all of your knowledge came from in this financial literacy space. Well, um, in terms of my knowledge, I mean, I've always been interested in finance, although I never pursued a career in finance. Uh, I think ultimately it comes down to, um, I never really wanted to work (laughs) and, uh, you know, if I could become financially independent, I wouldn't have to. And so now, you know, at age 56, I retired. So, uh, I spent a lot of my life, you know, learning about money and, um, you know, how to, how to use it wisely. Uh, I think one of the problems in today's environment is that there's really no, education for young adults today uh in Never terms learned of this stuff in high school or college no and you know only the, learned the, it from you yeah and you know when i was a kid uh if you wanted to buy something you had to save your money and you had to go to the bank and you had to get the money out and you had all this cash in your pocket and you'd go to the store and you'd lay all the cash out on the counter to buy what it was you were so passionate about having and that process is very tangible You know, you actually have to go get the money. You have to hand it over to someone else who takes the money out of your hand and that money is gone. And all you have now is that object that you were so coveting. Whereas in today's world, you click a button, right? And it's like, it shows up on your doorstep the next day and you don't even think about the money. It just happens, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and And we have people that subscribe to your Netflix and your Spotify and whatever. And every month is stuff that you're spending money on and it's completely invisible. And it all adds up so fast too. And it all adds up. There was something you said that I want to ask more about is uh, you retired at 56. <laughs> now, is that because you lived within your means or is that because of something, another strategy? No, I definitely lived within my means. I also think another part of the story is not trying to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. Uh, and I think that is another problem in today's world. Again, growing up, the Joneses were the people you saw in your neighborhood or, or your friends. Whereas today, the Joneses, all the people posting on Facebook and Instagram and all these social media uh, locations where all they do is post the best things of their life and as you go through all these posts, all you see is all this wonderful stuff. And you feel like I got to I got to have that right to be to keep up with everybody and have all the joy they have. And 
again, it kind of drives people crazy, I think, without them even knowing it. Uh, just it, it, There's no need to keep up with the Joneses. A lot of the Joneses may have fancy cars, but they also may have a whole lot of debt. And you don't <laughs> understand the financial trouble they may even to have those fancy things that, that you really don't need. Yeah. And that's sort of a great segue into the first topic of our Financial Literacy 101 series is budgeting. And last episode, we talked a lot about spreadsheets and how to use spreadsheets to our advantage in making decisions, but also in terms of keeping track of how we spend. So how how do you budget and how do you use that spreadsheet? Yeah. Well, my spreadsheets today in terms of budgeting is different than it would be for someone starting off. I mean, at this point, uh, I have a very good handle on what our annual expenses are. By the way, that's an interesting point right there. You know, before I retired, even though I'm very good with numbers and I'm a do-it-yourselfer, so I've always managed my own money. I've never really relied on anybody else to do that. But it's always good to go to an expert before you make a major life decision like retiring. So I had put together all the numbers and done my own spreadsheets. And then I took it to a financial advisor and I said, check my work, <laughs> you know, am I good to retire? And, you know, he said, before we even got started, he said, well, the first thing we have to know is what are your annual expenses? And I said, well, I know that. And he said, really? He said, most people I talk to don't, you know, which is pretty crazy to think someone in middle age doesn't have a handle on what their annual expenses are. So I think just knowing that is at least the, the beginning of a process um, that can allow you to manage things well. So in today's world, I don't budget to the level that a person starting off would want to budget. And then we can talk a little bit about what those details would be. What I do nowadays is every month I check how much money came in, how much money went out, and did anything kind of veer off from what is now considered for me kind of a steady state world, right? I see. But for the early stage budgeter, someone yeah. who's in their early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s. Yeah. I mean, how do we know where to start? You want to start probably with a spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, so I, before we even, you know, the, the thing about a budget is this: a budget is is a is a means to, to to document all the money that's coming in and all the money that's going out. And and the idea is that when you subtract all the money going out from all the money coming in, that you end up with a positive number. <laughs> that's that's probably you know kind of minimal, minimum acceptability in terms of, you know, a budget that works. What a lot of people, young folks may not realize though, is, you know, if you get out of college and let's just say you get a job and it pays $40,000 a year and you think, oh great, $40,000 a year, that's a lot of money. You don't want to write a budget for $40,000 a year because no, there's a you whole don't. lot of stuff that comes <laughs> out of that $40,000 before you even see it, right? And that's uh, gross income versus net income, right? Exactly. Like what you take home is net after right. all of those things. And we can talk on later maybe about what all that is and, and how to figure it out. But you really need to look at net income before thinking about what you have to work with. And then in terms of the, the spend, so that's the income. And then the spending, you really have to get down to a nitty gritty detail. And you know, there's a whole lot of categories that are covered in a budget. And I'll, I'll just go through them really quickly. You've got housing, which could be rent or mortgage, plus the insurance on your property, uh, taxes, fees, whatever that might be. You've got utilities, 
electric, gas, uh, water, internet, cable, cell phone, all these things. I'm, I'm not, in fact, I probably won't take the time right now to go through the whole list. But the key thing about the budget is that it should have no leaks in it. And what I mean by that is it covers everything. You buy birthday presents for people, it should be in your budget. Mm. Do you make, do you go and grab a, a Starbucks coffee every morning? That needs to be in your budget. In fact, I tell college students, when you do a budget, make sure you include drinks. And that for some people might mean the beer that they go for on a Friday night with their friends, or it might be the Dunkin' Donuts stop that they make in the morning. But if you think about it, you spend $3 every morning for that cup of coffee, which a lot of people, everybody, a lot of people like coffee. I think a lot of people like the something about the fashionable side of carrying a Starbucks cup Maybe. around. Three bucks a day, five days a week. That's $15 a week. Let's say you take two weeks of vacation. So the other 50 weeks of the year, you're doing this. So that's $750 a year that you're spending on that cup, which we won't even get into the environmental aspects of the cup that you throw away every day. But if you're making 40,000, you might be keeping 32,000. And now you've just spent over 2% of your income on that cup of coffee. That's one which, way to put it. <laughs> which by the way, you can make yourself, at and home. I would argue, for 80 cents a cup <laughs> for 50 cents or less. Yeah, absolutely. So there was one thing in the budget, which uh, Maddie is here. My sister is here today on this episode is when we were shopping for apartments to move out of home. What did that process look like, Maddie? Well, it's one thing about looking for apartments, but if you're looking at the budget, you know, you dad just rattled off all these things. You're supposed to figure out how much you're spending, but how do I know what my limit should be on certain categories. Like, yes, my paycheck may be able to pay for this apartment, but like what percentage of that, like what kind of percentage should I be looking at? Like, how do I know, is this sustainable with my net income? So that, that, that you know, that is a challenge for people who have not yet moved out of their home. What are all the expenses I'm going to encounter? And everybody's situation is different. What I will say is that for people buying a home, when you take out a mortgage, mortgage companies have certain guidelines that they follow when they lend you money because they know what people can afford, generally speaking. And the answer is when it comes to your mortgage, when you add up principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, it should not exceed 28% of your gross month, yeah, income. And when you add in other debt, like student debt or car debt, you should not exceed 33% of your income. That Those are two very important guardrails that mortgage companies follow uh, for good reason, because they know that if they go much beyond that, the default rates go up. So that's a decent place to start. And so whether or not you wanna to go to 28% on housing is a little bit of function of what other debt you're carrying and how much does that eat into your income? Yeah, it's a really great thing to consider. And then there's this whole idea of of an emergency fund and like yeah. things happen and so what's a good amount for someone like you know maddie or i to have at the ready in the event that something happens right so in that budget some people might actually budget for savings other people might say well as long as i get a positive number when i subtract all my expenses from my income then i have something left over 
And at some point, people may be inclined to want to invest that money. And when you invest money, you, you, the idea is it's going to grow, but you're also putting money at risk and you're probably putting your money in something that is not entirely liquid, meaning it, you can't just drive up to the bank and take it out, right? I think it's really important that people have between six, at a minimum six, and preferably nine months worth of living expenses at the ready. Which is you why know. it's so important to know what that output looks like when yes. you're budgeting. Exactly. You know that something like 40 some odd percent of the population in the US, has, adult population, is unable to uh, respond to an emergency that costs them $400. Wow. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And we didn't talk about this yet, but one of the problems and one of the reasons budgeting is so important is the credit card. Because if I go back to my childhood experience, if you didn't have the money, you couldn't make the purchase, right? You had to go to the bank, get the money, then you went and you bought the, the purchase. But today everyone has credit cards and credit cards allow you to buy things you don't have money for, which is one more reason why you need a budget because if you don't keep track of all this, it's, it's so, so easy to end up spending more money than you take in. And that's why we have so many people in this country with credit card debt. And I won't get into those statistics, but it's very <laughs> scary. It's very scary. I bet. And I think Maddie and I had both got our first credit cards, maybe around 19 years old. I think for me, it was when I got a car and was driving to and from college, it was, well, you might need a credit card to pay for some car expenses here and there if you don't have the liquid cash. Maddie, when did you get your first credit card? I don't remember my age really, but I, I'm imagining it's around the car thing because I had to buy gas. Mm. Um, Were you in high school or college? I think at first, well, I got my car in high school and I think I used my debit card for gas for a little while. But of course, dad has all these rules about <laughs> safety with your money and things like that. And using credit card over a debit card was one of those things that he would push on us a little bit. So I had, I think at some point when I was using my debit card for gas, I was like, hey, well, isn't this a little risky? Should I, should I be using a credit card instead? It was around the high school to college transition. I think I got a credit card. And what was the rule that dad said when we opened our first credit cards, what was his biggest piece of advice? Pay your entire bill and in full every month. No exceptions. Never carry balance on your credit card. If you can't pay the bill in full every month, don't buy the items. Exactly. So dad, tell us about why we shouldn't carry a balance and the impact of carrying a balance. Because I think this is some really eye-opening stuff. So I, I ask people, and I, I've, I've done some college lectures on a one-off basis. And so one of the things I like to do is I like to ask the, the audience the following question. So let's just say you have a credit card and you have a balance of $3,000 on that credit card. And let's just say you don't even use that card anymore. You're a balance gonna... or a limit? No, a balance. Meaning okay. you've charged, you've got $3,000 now and you're just kind of making the minimum payments. And it's, let's just say for the moment, it's a 3,000. Okay. And you have an annual percentage rate, which is APR of 18%, which by the way, in today's world is low. Kind of low. Yeah. I think mine They're is in, 20% in now. 20 plus percent range. And you make the minimum payment. And then let's just say the minimum payment is either 2% of your balance or $25, whichever is greater. And you don't use this card anymore at all. And all you mm -hmm. do is make the minimum payment 
when do you think, how long do you think it takes to get you to zero? Ugh, I don't even want to know. <laughs> Way longer than you think. Way longer than you think, probably. Yeah. It's, it's over 22 years. Oh my um, God. Which is, it's just mind blowing. And people, uh, Hannah, you, you gave me some guidance. You said before you uh, give the answer to this question, make sure everyone in the room is prepared to be shocked. Tell them they're going to be shocked. When I and told you to prepare for this lecture that you did? Lecture. Okay. Yes. Yep. And I mean, here I am talking to college juniors and seniors. And when I gave the answer, there were at least two people in each session whose face went uh white, white. you know they lost the color in their face like they 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 realized that they were already in trouble and they had no idea mm. uh, by the way that three thousand dollars when you finally pay it off you will have paid in over six thousand dollars in interest which means that your three thousand dollars in purchases cost you over nine thousand dollars no way yeah and, and to make matters worse and a lot of people don't realize this if you pay off your balance in full, then you get a grace period of nearly a month before you pay your next bill. And you get to basically borrow that money for nearly a month at no cost. But if you carry even a, a one cent balance, then every time you use the card, the interest starts accruing against that purchase that day. Oh, well, I don't think I actually knew that. Yeah. Hmm. So as somebody who typically pays their bill in full every month, what happens if I miss a payment, but I'm a good standing regular payer? Yeah. So I've had this happen to myself. I mean, I mean, nowadays we have bill pay and we have all these automated things that go on, but I've had occasion where I forgot to pay my bill and I am someone who always pays in full. I, I, in fact, I don't think in my entire life I've ever carried a balance intentionally. Wow. But I have had occasion once or twice where I, I missed the deadline, right? And so the next month, my bill says, you owe us, you know, $35 late fee and all these interest charges. And if I've been with a credit card company for at least a year, and in most cases, I don't change my credit card companies really very often at all. I call them up and I say, hey, I, I, made, I'm, I either did or will be making the payment within only a few days of the deadline. And it was just a mistake. And they generally when they have good customers will simply reverse those charges. And hmm. I think in at least two occasions where that's happened in my lifetime, in both cases, they just reverse the charges. Right. And it's worth asking, even if the answer is no, it might be yes. Yeah. Um, so we were talking a little bit before about like a group of college students and hearing some of this information. I just want to do a quick aside to just explain what that was all about. Uh, so I used to work in higher education in a career center and I was planning a conference sort of event for juniors and seniors to sort of think about life after college. And I thought that money was so important important as a, you know, a really important topic for them to learn about. So I brought my dad in to do a one hour sort of lecture, I guess, around the topics we're actually talking about right now, which is budgeting and credit cards and realizing that all this stuff adds up. And this was something that you had planned to sort of do in retirement, but, you know, COVID hit and higher education landscape has changed quite a bit in the last few years. So, you know, we're sharing this information now in this format. Mm -hmm. And I think one other thing that I want to talk about it sort of on the lines of living within your means is thinking about how all of your spending habits can affect your future, right? Like we think about your credit cards are tied to your credit score and your credit score is tied 
to so many things, <laughs> the ability to take out a mortgage, the ability to finance a car. I mean, I'm sure you could add more to that list, but, and a credit card is so much tied to that credit score. So could you sort of talk about what that connection is? Yeah. Yeah. So again, when I was a kid, uh, people who needed to borrow money, you know, want to buy a house or whatever, they'd go to their local bank and the banker would talk to them, get to know them, probably ask for references and would make decisions about loaning money on sort of your personal credibility and, and reputation. Uh, and then sometime in several decades, I don't know, two or three decades ago, you know, someone figured out with all this computer power and everything else, so they come up with an algorithm to give a score to each person who has a credit card. And that score turns out can do the job for the most part as well or better than those bankers. And so now we have computers that make the decision about whether to lend you money and it's based on your score. And that score is a function of how you use credit. It's really as simple as that, how much you have, how much you use and how well you pay off your debts. And so now you have this score that kind of follows you around like this invisible number over your head that I picture it like Sims of like the little <laughs> green diamond that's above all the yes characters. that's, that's exactly your credit score. <laughs> how you should think about it and that's how and the banks look at you it, it's it, so you want to get a credit card they're going to look at your score you want to buy a car and borrow money to buy a car they're going to look at your score you want to rent an apartment if you go to a not person who might own one property but if you go to a, a rental property that's you know a corporate owned they're probably going to check your credit score you want to get insurance they could check your credit score. Some companies even will check your credit score. Before yeah, they hire you. a lot of financial institutions do that. Yeah. So now you have this score. I mean, it's a lot like, you know, people who use as an example, and this may be a bit arcane at this point, but you know, when you uh, use eBay, right? You, you, the seller has a, has a rating and the buyer has a rating. Same and, with Uber. <laughs> and Uber. Yeah. Right. And so, it really stinks when you get bad scores because they follow you forever. And in this case, it really will follow you forever. And um, so you don't really want to mess it up. And what factors about a credit card contribute to your score? By the way, there's a, there's a number of scoring systems out there. FICO was the original. It's called the Fair Isaac Company. They came up with this scoring system and now different companies have different scoring scoring mechanisms, but they're basically all the same, fundamentally the same, slightly different. How do you get a, a really good score? And so if we use FICO score as an example, by the way, that goes from 300 up to 850. And of course, if you're over 800, you're like excellent, excellent credit, uh, credit risk. If you're over 700, you're really good. You're, you're, you're good. Most people are between six and 750. Some people go a little crazy and they try everything they can to get that score higher, higher, higher. And I'd say once you're in the upper 700s, you're doing fine. You're going to get the, by the way, not only will a bank use a score to decide whether to lend you money, but your score will also determine what interest rate you pay, Oh, <laughs> which is really important because we're trying to, you know, make the best of our use of our money. And it seems crazy that the people with the lowest scores would pay the highest interest rates, but you have to look at this from the perspective of the bank. And if your score isn't great, then the bank's risk in lending you money goes up. And the, why do you, how did they manage risk? Well, they charge those people who are higher risk more interest because some of them aren't gonna pay. So you wanna be in this high 700s 
and then you're good. Don't try to manage it beyond that. So how do you manage it? Well, number one, pay your bills on time. I mean, it's really very simple. Just pay your bills on time. And Second, I also it, know some people that pay a balance of their credit card on a regular basis. So halfway through the billing cycle, they throw $500 or $1,000 payment at the, the balance as well. You can do that, I suppose, if, this, if that helps you. One thing I will say, some people have this idea that if they carry a balance, a small balance on their card, that it helps with their credit score. That I've heard is, that too. That is wrong. Hmm. Carrying a balance does not help. You've got to pay your bills on time. And then you have every credit card comes with a, a credit limit. And what you want to do is you only want to use a small fraction of your credit limit. So if you have a card that has, let's say, a $5,000 limit on it, you really want to try to keep it to 20 or 30% of that. So maybe you never spend more than 1000 or 1500 a month, and then you pay it off every month. That would be ideal. So pay your bills on time. Don't use all the credit you have. And do that for a long time <laughs> and it'll work. It's really, it's, it's, it's really that simple. Yeah. And I think that that really ties up this topic really well of living within your means. <laughs> Those exact things that you just said. Pay in full every month on time. Use only a fraction of your credit and just keep doing that over a long time period. Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, I think that there is so much more to talk about on this topic, but we are going to continue this Financial Literacy 101 series in our next episode, which will talk about how money doesn't buy happiness and another lesson that dad taught us. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Everything I Know I Learned From Dad. Please show your support for our podcast by dropping a review, subscribing to the show, and sharing it with others. We also invite you to email us questions you'd like to see answered in a future episode or share something valuable you learned from your dad. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>